further up and further in. I'm Amy and I'm here with Michelle. Hey Amy, today we're going to talk about experiencing the presence of Jesus in our everyday lives and even in our memories. Oh, that sounds so good. It is good, but it can also verge on the flaky. Yeah, it sure can. Yeah, so we want to talk to our listeners today about the presence of Jesus every day in our lives and how the awareness of that actually completely shifts our experience. So, so far we've talked about a lot of tools in this podcast that help us encounter truth. And we need encounters with truth. We need encounters with truth that engage our minds and our hearts. So sometimes I process things with people like the breaking agreement tool, things like that where they have this experience of the truth is not that I'm rejected, but that I'm loved. And so there's this solid brain connection. But without an emotional connection to that too, we actually don't experience healing. And it's healing that makes us strong. Mm-hmm. Truth and, is good. Yep, it's thinking, thinking, feeling, and behaviors. And if two out of the three are connected and on the same way, the third one will automatically join. So if we have a thinking encounter with the truth, and then we have an emotional encounter with Jesus, that man, actually, those two things combined will actually lead to the behavioral changes that a lot of time people end up are coming because they've had behavioral symptoms of a bigger problem. Yeah. And I know even in my own experience, I have like brought the truth of the word of God to a situation because I know the verses and I know what they say. And I can work really hard on modifying my behavior, right? Being careful what I say or don't say or whatever. But I've gotten exhausted and nowhere with that. And the reason was because I was trying to create the behavior change out of the truth. And I was Mm. still lacking an emotion Mm -hmm. encounter that created healing. So let's unpack that a bit just so our listeners know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So really, this tool, we often just call it as Jesus in the memory. Yes. And I've had people challenge me on this and say, you're just making stuff up to make yourself feel better. So I really want to unpack this thought for our Mm -hmm. listeners. So truth encounter would be, what's, what, what are your, some, some of your favorite go-to verses about the presence of God? Man, the one that is just like quoted ad nauseum, I feel, but is also so true, is the one in Deuteronomy 31. God will never leave us or forsake us. Yeah. Bam. End of story. Whatever has happened, past, present, or future, God is always there. Yes. And so my human brain, of course, would go to, but I still get to legitimately, this has actually been true in my story in the past, I legitimately get to feel anxious and afraid because even though God was there when I was 14, he didn't stop anything from happening. Mm. So I bet you any one of our listeners has the same experience and whether they've consciously thought that or not, the reason we experience something like PTSD, which we can joke about and isn't even funny at all, And that most humans experience somewhere in the spectrum. I still have an anxiety about someone dying because my uncle was killed in a car crash, right? That's a legitimate, from a psychological standpoint, a legitimate experience. But we don't have to live bound to fears of the past. Mm -hmm. And so um, one thing that's really, really helped me as I like looking at things from body, soul, spirit perspective, psychologists talk about um, events as being potentially traumatic, not just automatically traumatic. Yes, because everyone experiences things differently. And what an experience that could be traumatic for you would actually not be a big deal for me. Yes, and there's there's reasons for this that aren't all just, well, lucky lucky you, Amy. You're so solid and level-headed that you don't, you know, experience trauma as easily. There's a million factors that go into that. And so if we took something, for example, like 
9-11, I so remember that day, and I would easily say, oh man, that was so traumatic. But the truth is, only 50% of the people experience post-traumatic stress out of a given big event like that. And so what makes it different? Well, I can tell you now that as I go through my life, because of how I've experienced the goodness of Jesus, when something really genuinely difficult happens in my life, I am now currently living very consciously aware, Jesus is here with me right now. And as I do that, Amy, I'm actually anchoring my emotions to that truth. So I'm having a present, real-time experience of the presence of Jesus because I know he's real. He's healed me. He's done amazing things. But I got to the point where I could do that by actually exploring a lot of the stuff that framed traumatic experiences in the past. When I'm thinking about that, the like being aware, present day, Jesus is here with me, yes, that that seems common sense or very scripturally sound. The Jesus in the memory, right? I can easily go to, okay, this is a little bit flaky. Now I'm just making stuff up. But I always go back to the thing of, okay, you know what? God is creator and we carry some of his nature, right? The creativity, the imagination, I think is totally God-given. And we talked about that in the Wide Awake and Dreaming episode, that that's something God has given us. And so if that is something that he's given us, it makes sense that he would want us to use that to connect with him. Totally. And it's a combination of we can go there with our willing intention to know that he was there, but we also trust him that he's going to bring us an experience of that, not just a, a, an understanding mm-hmm. of it. So when you're experiencing current anxiety, angst, sense of you know trauma that you know is attached to something in the past, and you just try to think, God is here with me, God is here with me, that is definitely going to help you, but it's going to help you even more if you explore the roots of that trauma and experience the healing Mm -hmm. of Jesus there. So in my family story, so many traumas to pick from. So we'll use the example uh, that I already referred to, my uncle being killed by a drunk driver. It was actually my uncle, aunt, and a baby cousin that were all killed instantly as uh, a drunk driver was tearing around down a highway on the wrong side of the road at high speed and came around a curve and he just obliterated them. So that actually happened. So for me to experience healing in that memory, there's a few steps that I have to do, which our readers or our listeners are actually probably even going to have a good idea already what they are. I had to take a look at, man, who caused that? Because, yeah, God was there and he could have stopped it, but someone else was there with a free will. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to forgive the drunk driver. And as we do our forgiveness tool that we have a whole episode on, I had to forgive him for the willful choices he made. And then I had to forgive him for the things that he brought along with that willful choice. My sense that other people have the freedom to do whatever they want that could just take away things that matter to me. Create a feeling of being unsafe. um, Like you can't be relaxed ever because something bad could happen at any minute. I mean, I had just been happily playing as a nine-year-old when all of a sudden this phone call comes that just completely shatters our family. So explore all those feelings around that. And then I had to take those lies that the enemy brought to me that day, that you're not safe, that trauma can happen at any minute, never be peaceful because something bad could happen any moment, right? All those lies. God's not here. He's not protecting me. I had to break agreement with all those lies. Then ask Jesus to show me where he was Mm -hmm. when that was happening. Because the forgiveness in a breaking agreement is kind of like you're cleaning out the wound, getting the pus out, getting the dirt out, getting the debris out. And then Jesus in the memory is the actual healing 
of the wound, which we've now created space for. Yeah. And we can ask him to kind of show up, but I've I've just found that if I don't clear out that junk, I'm actually not going to have the experience of it. It would still be a really great thought. Jesus was there. But as I go there and just say, Jesus, where were you that day? And I could sense his grief over this horrible choice bringing destruction. Like, it was a horrible choice. It brought terrible destruction. But I also saw him, like, just scooping them up into his arms and that he was also there with me as this little nine-year-old sitting in the living room. My mom is understandably, see, feeling it now. Um, My mom is understandably devastated. This is her brother. And the feeling all of a sudden everything is not okay because mom can't comfort me because she has no comfort herself. Like that's a fragile place for a child that happens in our humanity. My mom's a good mom. She wanted us to not feel trauma. But in that awful feeling of aloneness, instead of that, Jesus was there with me and he was holding me. And just, Michelle, I want to take your pain. I want to take your grief. Mm -hmm. No matter the worst the enemy brings to us through the brokenness in the world, he's like, I just want to take that pain from you. He is a savior and a healer. Yeah. And so when we experience them in those memories, it actually, scientifically, we can see this mapping in the brain that as my emotions are attaching to something that was equally true, Amy, it was totally true. As my emotions are attaching to that, my memory is reformed. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a story of, yeah, the world is broken and it was awful and it should never have happened. That was a huge loss. The creativity that my uncle and aunt had, they were incredibly creative people. Beautiful little baby girl that never got to flourish. And we would never find out what she was gonna be like. That's a loss. Jesus grieves over that. That's why he went to the cross to bring restoration to the world. Satan always pairs his lies with facts. Mm -hmm. Always. And so the facts of the situation were, all the X, Y, and Z I already described to you. Satan was there. And as my emotions attached to the lies that seemed so obvious, that framed a memory. As I forgave, broke agreement with the lies, experienced the presence of Jesus, it reframed the memory in a powerfully true way, not mm. just based on the facts. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, because... The reason why Satan's lies are so effective is because he wraps the lies and um, incidences so tightly together that in our minds, they're just one. Yes. And with the forgiveness and breaking agreement, we're unraveling it. So we see the lies separate from the actual incident and then or the event or whatever we want to say. And then once the incident is by itself, then there's space to now encounter Jesus there. Yeah, and as I encountered the reality of Jesus there, because he was so there, his heart, oh my goodness, scripture is full of it. There's a verse in Jeremiah that talks about my heart breaks for the heartbreak of my people. Mm -hmm. God cares about our pain. He is so, uh, what is it, Psalm Psalm 34, 18 says that God's near to the brokenhearted. If you go back through your brokenhearted episodes in your life, whatever those might be, the truth is God was powerfully present and just longing to hold you in that pain. He's never, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll never abandon you. He was there. That is actually true. And we can do all the what ifs. Well, if he was God in my immaturity, I've talked about this a lot, that had this very Godmother expectation that God would just show up and bam, he would not let bad things happen, which is abundantly obvious to us. It's not true. But you know, one of the things I love to look to is Job. Most people are familiar with the book of Job, right? He had tragedy, trauma. His buddies come alongside of him, and they're going to explain to him all the reasons this badness happened. And we, we go there in our heads, right? We oh, try totally. to unravel. 
Why did all the bad things happen? And, and they were brilliant. They're like, Job, it's all your fault because you yada, yada, yada. Gotta love friends like that. Mm-hmm. Sure, they were just trying to be helpfully honest. I know, right? And as a side note, as I read Job, I'm just like, I, I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know what? That totally makes sense. And then I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. These are the friends that are not on the right track. Exactly. I do the same thing. This is exactly right. Yeah, that's right. Oh, wait, hold on a second because I know I've read the book. I've read the end. So it's like something like 37 chapters of this conversation around brilliant intellectual human wisdom trying to unravel. And they get to the point where they've exhausted all their wisdom. And then God speaks. And he speaks for three chapters. And I'm going to tell you, Amy, there are times when I have gone to those chapters and just read them. Because I don't have any answers and I have zero emotional resilience left for whatever is happening at the time. And as I read those chapters, God doesn't answer a single question. Mm -hmm. God asks Job a ton of questions that reveal the majesty and the bigness of who God is. And at the end of the three chapters of God basically putting his glory and his majesty on display, he hasn't answered a single question. And Job goes, oh my goodness, I've heard about you before, but now I've seen you and I'm calm and I'm quiet. Mm -hmm. And And yet all the whys were not answered. None of the whys were answered, but when God revealed himself, Job, it's always important for me to remember because a few verses later we hear he was healed, everything was restored, but it didn't happen in a flash. At that moment that Job has this encounter with God, his kids are still dead, his crops are gone, his animals are dead, his friends are jerks, his wife has told him, curse God and die, and he's covered in boils. Rock bottom here. And he has nothing to say except, oh God, you're so good. Now that I've tasted your goodness, I'm just in awe and wonder of who you are. And so I've stopped asking why about traumas, tragedies, and hardships. And I've just asked God, would you just show me where you're present? Because mm. he is. He's so present. And from there, we can go forward and trust, actually, that he really and truly does take our pain and make something beautiful out of it. He does. It's his promise. It's not a happy, clappy, breeze over the pain thing. It's a genuine gritty through the valley of the shadow, through the turbulent waters, I will be with you. Mm -hmm. And we have um, walked with people through them using this tool quite a few times. And I just, I just love that moment on people's faces when they encounter Jesus in that memory. And all of a sudden, their memory, it shifts. Mm -hmm. What they remember and what their emotions are anchored to shift. And it's like, oh my goodness, yeah. this is a beautiful memory. I love this memory now yeah. because of the power of God in that, which is just, it just is amazing, right? That God comes in and brings hope, love, and healing, and it changes something that has for 30 years been the thing of, I go back there and I'm right there and I feel the trauma. And all of a sudden now they've experienced God. I've used this tool with the whole spectrum of stuff. Like you say, we've used it with people who, who, who are so shaped by feelings of insignificance and rejection because of the time in grade three when they were on the side of the school ground, not looking like they belong. And as they've experienced the presence of Jesus, their healing has come that has allowed them to show up in relationships differently. And we've also used it like solid clinical post-traumatic stress syndrome, like first responders and military people that are tr- totally tormented by nightmares and the nightmares cease. And the truth is Jesus wants us to experience him, whether that sadness is something that maybe you've always pushed aside and gone, it's not actually a big deal. That's normal. All kids feel, you know, rejected on the playground. Or if you're dealing with some really significant clinical stuff, 
we're not saying this tool is the be-all and end-all, but we're saying it's a really powerful, mm-hmm. really powerful thing to activate. When I think of people who have been tormented and medicated with horrific nightmares for years, and that's affected their family, and then we've walked through them with this healing process, and the fact they sleep well now tells me this isn't just like a hokey, you made it up. Positive thinking will change everything. Exactly. But it's a genuine encounter with a revelation of the love of God. And God wants us to experience that love. So sometimes when I do this with people, they we get to the place where we've cleared out the bitterness, the pain, the lies of the enemy, and they still can't experience Jesus. I just say, okay, start with using your active imagination. If Jesus was there, based on scripture, what do you think he would be doing? Because sometimes when people do this, they'll actually come up with something that isn't like Jesus. Do you want to flush that out a little bit, Amy? It's important to kind of have boundaries around this tool. So then we or awarenesses. So then we know, okay, is this from Jesus or not? Because what it, what can happen is, man, if maybe things aren't as clear or the enemy is just kind of being a jerk again, that we can be experiencing something that's not Jesus, right? So it's like, if... If our listeners are going into this and they're they're trying out this tool and they're asking, okay, Jesus, where are you in the memory? And as it starts playing out, if Jesus, in quotations, is bringing shame, fear, anger, condemnation, that's not from Jesus. And we know it's not from Jesus because we can base it on scripture. God is love. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if any of those show up, That's not actually Jesus. Yeah. And so something that you can use as a tool, if you're like, man, I don't even know how to start with this. And this definitely feels in the zone of how am I not going to know I'm making stuff up? Well, first of all, we just ask Jesus, come Mm -hmm. and reveal yourself, reveal yourself. A tool you can use, which is a good tool for anybody to use just for the fun of it, is pick a Bible story somewhere in the Gospels where Mm. Jesus is encountering someone, whether it's Zacchaeus, woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery. These are such powerful stories of humanity and rejection and abandonment. And picture yourself. Put yourself right in the crowd. God gave you an imagination for a good reason. You're anchoring it to the Bible story. You're not going to be going off in some weird direction. And just... Then sit in the story and, and, and just picture, well, what would Jesus's face look like right now? Mm. If I was this person and he, is he looking at me that way? Is he looking at me like he saw Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was so small and insignificant or else hateful and disgusting, however you want to view his role and how culture would have viewed him. But Jesus stopped and he looked him in the eye. So if I'm there, is Jesus stopping and looking me in the eye? Does he think he has time for me? Would he want me to come to his house today? So as we put ourselves in the story, we can actually experience the truth of Jesus because he was never mean, angry, condemning to people who are in pain. Mm -hmm. That's such a good um, tip for people that are kind of easing into this Mm -hmm. and feel leery about, oh my goodness, going to my biggest traumatic thing and asking Jesus, that that's a really good way to, as you said, anchor yourself in scripture. Another thing that I've had conversations with um, people about is they're kind of unsure about this, where they're going, is actually asking Jesus where Jesus was in happy memories. Oh, that's such a good idea. Because he's there too, right? And so it's, yeah, I had this conversation with someone that was just like, yeah, I wasn't really sure. So I just like picked my happiest memory and said, Jesus, where were you there? And she's like, and it was there. And it actually heightened Hmm. the experience. Because man, not only was I joyful, loving this, but man, Jesus was right there partying with me and being with me and like just so delighted that it's like, okay, if he's here in my happy memories and so delighted, 
then in my sad, traumatic, devastating ones, he's going to come up, he's going to show up with compassion and connection like he did in the happy ones. So Which I just thought was such a neat way. I wouldn't have thought that. Mm-mm. And how interesting that we readily can imagine him in our happy moments, but we it just shows that we kind of believe he actually wasn't really there in our yep. sad and hard ones. And that is just so, right? That is a lie of the enemy. There's no other way to describe it. He was there. And so as we started out, I said, you know, it's easier now for me to picture that he is here and he is present now because I've actually experienced him in the pain of my past. And as I experience him in the pain of my past, the enemy so loses a hold on my emotions, which totally drives my behaviors. So in kind of a practical experience, I've got teenagers in the house, there's conflict going on between two people in my house the other night. My go-to years ago would have been get right in there and fix it, help everybody, which shockingly, I know Amy's smirking. <laughs> Our dear listeners, Amy is smirking at me right now. Can you believe it? Yeah, guess what? Me jumping in and fixing things hasn't always been helpful. Shocked. What? Right? I know. And so slowly learning, and God bless my kids that are the guinea pigs, I didn't jump to, oh man, I need to go out there and fix that. I I was in my bedroom, lay on my bed, and I was just like, okay, Jesus, I love that you're here right now and that you love my family so much. So I'm already anchoring my emotions to truth. Powerful tea truth. Facts, yep, there's conflict going on. And I hate conflict, but I'm getting so much better at it. So I'm just like, Jesus, thank you that you're here right now, that you love them so much. I pray that you would, that they would sense you right now, holding both of them as they try to sort out this conflict. And I thank you, Jesus, that you're right in the middle of the room. And I just started to picture, well, what would he look like if I could see his face in the middle of this conflict? Well, he is loving both of them so much, and he's longing for them to understand each other. So then I'm getting actually excited that God is for us and he is not against us. Again, truth in scripture, but I'm not just using my head. I'm experiencing the joy and kindness of Jesus. He's there with them. And so I was actually able, like seriously, say actually able, this is like a big deal, to stay anchored to peace through conflict happening in my house. And shockingly enough, Amy, I know, get ready for it. They sorted it out without my help. (laughs) My quote, help. And there was a solid, peaceful re- resolution. So we, once we go into unraveling the strategies of the enemy into our, from our past that drive our present, we get a different present too. And it's really good. And I just think the more that we're fully aware of the presence of Jesus in our body, soul, and spirit, the more we'll boldly venture further up and further in. Mm-hmm.